0: I want to talk about two life events that happened to me because I've determined in my life what you're going to see and hear over the next few moments is a gentleman who has made up his mind that no matter what happens around me I'm not going to end 2017 the way I started 2017 okay it's an intentional choice and Early, probably about six months before the end of 2016, I started praying that God, what would you have me challenge the people of covenant with? Um, uh, sort of, we preachers, we love to say, this is what the theme is, and so we founded a theme, but the thing I noticed is the theme didn't come from me, the theme came to me, and that's how God has a tendency to move. And so this morning, I want to challenge each and every one of you, and I want to talk through what we are calling transformation time. Everybody say that with me, transformation time. Now, the difference between a transformation and a resolution is a resolution, obviously, is to sometimes fix habits we don't like. How many have already broken their resolutions? How many people are are waiting to start their resolution? Okay, I see a couple of you. How many don't care about resolutions because you know you're going to break it anyway? Okay, yes, yes, me too. Um, But yet we need, as God's people, to be transformed. And so I want to talk to you about what God says about transformation and ultimately My hope is that you will see it as something that's valuable to your life. Because we're already a couple of weeks into 2017, and who's gotten their first disappointment already this year? It's going to happen. And if you don't believe me, just wait uh, a little while longer. You're going to be disappointed at times. But yet, we are the people of God. And if God is on our side, we are victorious. If God is on our side, we are victorious. And so let me say it another way. If you are a child of God, there are guaranteed to experience certain results that the world may not experience. And so we're going to look at this this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I just want to read a couple of verses. And then I want to tell you about something that happened to me the morning of November 15th. 2015. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm just going to read three verses, and then I'm going to share my heart about the gospel and its importance to us. It says, and this is the Apostle Paul talking, he says, but we all, everyone say all of us. If you're a Christian, you belong to the we all Paul is talking about. He says, but we all with unveiled face Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed. Everybody say transformed. Say it like you're awake. Transformed. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Then the first two verses of chapter 4 say, Therefore, since we have this ministry... As we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Lord... Here's my prayer this week, God, that the Holy Spirit would already be here in the room long before we showed up. Lord, I pray that you would transform lives throughout 2017, a transformation that many of us haven't experienced in a long, long time. Sure, I know that most of us are Christians walking with God, but I wonder if There's anyone in this room who can say, you know what, Pastor, I'll join you, but I've been stuck for a couple of years. I've been just going through the motions. I've been doing the same old thing. Get up, go to church, read my Bible. It's the same old thing, and I want to get close to you like I was when. So, Lord, I believe the truth is not found in anything that we bring to the table, but the truth is found in your word. And so, be with us this morning. Let us have fun. Let us enjoy ourselves. But most importantly, let us enjoy your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Anybody in the room, and I'm looking to the middle section, anybody in the room love UFC? Can I see a show of hands? Like two people. Okay. Well, I saw a lady, so that's good. Um, UFC, if you're not familiar with it, it's really... it centers around mixed martial arts. And so two opponents will get into what they call the octagon, and they will just battle it out. November 15, uh, 2015, I got up, and it was a Sunday morning. I remember it distinctly because it helped me view the gospel a little bit different. There were two fights that were the main event. One was a ladies' fight. One was a man's fight. The person fightin', fighting in the ladies' fight, her name was Rhonda Rousey. The gentleman fighting in the men's fight, his name was Connor McGregor. Anybody happen to see or catch those fights or highlights? The crowd is getting smaller. <clears throat> the interesting thing about those two fights is these were the biggest, the biggest lady. Uh, And the biggest guy, the biggest personality, they were undefeated, and no one thought that either of them could be beat. And at the same night, at the same event, they both lost. I mean, it it was shocking. I remember getting up that morning and seeing the paperwork or reading online and social media, and I was like, wow, this is shocking. Ronda Rousey, she went into her fight, cocky as ever. She thought she was going to win. I mean, everybody, we all thought, oh, this is a given. And she was fighting a lady named Holly Holm, who was named as the preacher's daughter. Now, the preacher's daughter has nothing to do with it, because I want to focus and show you a tale of two different endings. Ronda Rousey, she went into her fight. And immediately she just was outmatched. It was almost embarrassing to see that this woman who was dominant up until then now came to the place where she had met an opponent that she couldn't defeat with what she brought to the table. You ever met an opponent that you can't defeat with what you bring to the table? You ever been there? And so she went into the fight, and Holly Holm uh, uh, battled with her, and I think it was the beginning of the second round, Holly Holm ultimately gave her a kick to the head, and it knocked her out, and she lost the fight, and then we went on to Conor McGregor, and he was fighting a gentleman named Nate Diaz, and the two were battling out, and it was just a testosterone fest, and they were cursing each other leading up to the fight, and flicking each other the bird, and everybody knows what the bird is, right? So, I, okay, okay, I just want to make sure you guys are kind of quiet. And so, it was one of these things, and then Conor McGregor, uh, he was choked, uh, and so he had to the, what they call tapping out before he went unconscious. The interesting thing is, after those two fights, Ronda Rousey, the lady fighter, she went into seclusion, and for the next year and a half, nobody really ever heard she wouldn't take interviews. Conor McGregor, he stood up at the end of his fight, and he said, wow, I underestimated my opponent. And because of that, they approached the rematch two different ways. Now, I wish I could say that Ronda Rousey, if you're into the UFC fighting, I wish I could say she came back and she was dominant. It was just the opposite. Her next fight was a couple of weeks ago. I think it was December 31st. She went into the ring and within 48 seconds, devastation. She was knocked out. Conor McGregor had a different response and I think and I've wondered why was it so different? Conor McGregor, I read a quote from him when he was training for his rematch, and here's what he said. Conor McGregor, when being interviewed, and he's just as cocky as ever, just as brash, just as vulgar as ever, but he went into this fight and he said this, in some obscure interview, when asked what's going to be different, he said, when I lost, I realized that for the first time, if I was going to win a rematch, I had to win the fight outside of myself. I had to win the fight outside of ourselves. Many of us have been uh, approaching transformation by what we bring to the table. And what I want to do is share with you Paul's wisdom in verse 18. If you have your Bible, I want you to see it. He says this, But we all with unveiled face beholding as a mirror or as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed. Now, that word is important because the word transform, literally the Greek word is metamorpho. "metamorphu," which we get the English word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. In other words, it's a change that happens in the heart of the believer. I never understood this passage. If you grew up in a charismatic church like I did, when a preacher got up and said, we're changing and we're going to go from glory to glory to glory, I typically, my response was, okay, let's get ready to shout. Let's get excited. But the problem is excitement wears off. And one of the things I'm learning as I get a little bit older, Covenant, is that it is really important for the people of God to not come to God and saying, I'm going to be different in 2017 with their own strength, but to rely on the strength of the Holy Spirit in you. In fact, you can't change yourself. I mean, maybe for a little while you can bring about change. And so if you were to read all of chapter 3, and it's necessary, and I encourage you to do so when you go home, Paul is comparing this old covenant with the glory of the new covenant. And both are important, but he says the old covenant was fading away, and there is now a new covenant. And I thought about that, and I looked back over my own life, and I said, Lee, when have you been the best, as in walking towards God. When have you been right on tune? Have you ever went through a season where you're just, you and God are like, y'all, you you guys are tight. Anybody? Nobody. Okay, one person. (laughs) Thank you, Brittany. (laughs) I mean, just tight. Are you there today? Are you there Now, what I'm not trying to go at is an emphasis on excitement. Or, or, or gooeyness, what I'm trying to get at is there is a glory that God has prepared for you in the new covenant that he didn't prepare for those who lived under the law of the old covenant. In other words, there is, it's like the scripture and Paul has tapped into something of saying God can do more for you when you die to yourself than he can when you live in your own strength. And I spent most of my adult Christian life just trying to be when I didn't realize I already was. And what I want to share with you just briefly this morning is God wants to do three things in your life. One, we must be transformed from glory to glory. And what Paul is saying is, if you try to transformed or be transformed in the old glory or the old way of doing things, you're ultimately going to fail, burn out, give up, give out, all those things. And instead of experiencing a new glory, the second thing is we must be transformed from ministry to mercy. And the third thing is we must be transformed from our way of doing things to God's way. So in verse 18, I've already shared with you the word literally is transformed, and it means metamorphosis. How many have seen a butterfly being transformed? I see a show of hands. The interesting thing that I thought, and I never understood, about a metamorphosis that happens to a butterfly. And if there's any uh, biologists in the room, I apologize, but I'm doing my best attempt to get this right. A metamorphosis is cool because the butterfly is born, and he's a as a cali, as a caterpillar. He's walking, he's eating, he's consuming, he's taking in, and then he spins. Uh, a shell around himself and then he's transformed into a butterfly what I did not know is that within that, that shell of himself that it literally the caterpillar he literally liquefies and basically becomes a soup how many people like soup this morning <clears throat> so the next time you're at Panera Bread and you're eating your soup Think of the liquid guts and everything in the, in the butterfly. That was a bad example, I admit it. I'm sorry. I just wanted to see if you're awake this morning. And then the most unexplainable thing happens. As he dies to himself or itself, he's born into something that is completely different than what he was. Most of us, when we first knew Jesus, when we first believed, I love that song where it says, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my soul rolled away, it was there by I received my sight and now I am happy all at the cross. The cross will be the place where we can return to and should return to for the rest of our lives. And I just wonder if we as Christians have said to ourselves, okay, I already did the cross thing. I already already accepted Jesus, but now I need to go on to something more. And I'm saying, no, we need to return to the cross over and over and over again so that we can literally die to ourselves. See, the old covenant is how we perform. If you know anything about Old Testament history, you would have to offer a sacrifice. Now, if you sinned, you had uh, to offer this kind of sacrifice. And if you did this kind of sin, you would have to offer this sacrifice. And you would go and you would kill an animal and you would rip its guts out or the priest would rip its guts out. And then you could be back in right standing. How many people would have already had to sacrifice a bull this morning? Just one person. I talked to some of you before service, so I know it's kind of like, that's what you had to do. Do you know the new covenant is about what Jesus has done once and for all, and you'll never have to sacrifice? Many of us approach transformation as in saying, but God, I did this wrong, and God, I've done this wrong. I love what Tully and Shavijian says about uh, the old glory or the old covenant versus the new covenant. And here's what he says. He says, the Holy Spirit uses God's law and God's gospel in our sanctification. Watch this. But the law and the gospel do two very different things. The law reveals our sin, but it's powerless to remove it. It points to righteousness, but it cannot produce it. It shows us what godliness is, but it cannot make us godly. Nothing can take away sin except the grace of God, and we all should shout hallelujah. Nothing can take away sin except the grace of God, and that grace has a name, and his name is Jesus. The law, apart from the gospel, will only crush and shame the believer. It can never cure the believer. And that's a brilliant statement To show us that if we're going to experience a new kind of transformation, because most of us will approach transformation by, okay, I got to do this. I got to eat better. I got to read the Bible. I got to tithe more. I got to go to church more. I got to feel it, feel it. And do you know that walking with Christ is not about feelings? Feelings are a byproduct of a relationship with Christ. And so I want to encourage you guys just to approach your transformation that God is doing in your life just a little bit different, where you will say it's, this is how I tried to fix myself. This is how I'm going to allow God to fix me in 2017. In other words, if you're tired of trying, or let me say it this way. I want to say it a better way. How many people have asked God to help you conquer An area in your life more than once. How's God doing? I asked it that way on purpose. Because God will help you conquer that area. If you have not conquered, it could be because you're trying to do it all yourself instead of surrendering it to God. Now I'm not trying to make us sin conscious this morning, because I know a lot of us as Christians we have a tendency to be more aware of our sin than we do the grace of God, and that's never that should never be our approach. This week, when I was going through this, I found my uh, an old Bible I have. It's all ripped up and posted notes everywhere and. Where I spill coffee on the pages, they sort of stick together. But it was the first Bible I ever preached from, and I found it this week. And I was looking through it at some of my notes and some of the sermons I preached as a young jitterbug. And do you know, when I went back and looked at the notes, I was like, I can't believe I said that. And I was waiting for God to strike me down right there in the. Because it's like, I said what now? Nothing was heretical. I don't want you guys to go back and try to find something on YouTube where Pastor Lee was saying all these crazy things. But no, I had preached that glory to glory to glory meant it's what I did. And I didn't understand as a young preacher, glory to glory means either accepting that you can live by the law and ultimately be destroyed by the law, or you can live in grace and experience of freedom. And the moment I prayed, I said, oh, God, please forgive me me for my ignorance. To all those people I said things to that I didn't really mean or I didn't know what I was talking about. Anybody can say I talked to somebody and shared my faith. And I didn't know what I was talking about. Have you ever, ever done that? And then watch this. They got saved anyway. <laughs> it's like, but now that you're sophisticated in your walk with God. And you know all the verses. And you share your faith and it's dry. Because the wisdom of man can never do what God can do when he takes foolish, willing people who will say, Okay, God, I'm yours. I'm yours. The second thing we have to focus on is going from ministry to mercy. And I want to read verse 1 of chapter 4 because something interesting, Paul says something that I've never caught before, and hopefully you can be patient with me and say, okay, I want to know more about that. He says in verse 1, therefore, since we have this ministry, everybody say ministry. Are you a minister? Are you a minister? If you are a Christian, you and I have the same job. We have the same job. See, pastoring is how I support my family, but pastoring will not get me into heaven. Only being a Christian will get us all into heaven, but... Now watch this, because I don't want you guys to say, okay, are you saying I have to witness and I have to be in ministry in order to make it to heaven? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying, because we are Christians, we now are implored to share what God is doing in our own lives. We have to. And he says something interesting. I love this. He says, therefore, since we have this ministry and we have received mercy. Let me stop right there. You know how I read this? Maybe you read it the same way. Keep it up there. Therefore, since we have this ministry, we have received mercy. I read the word mercy. But I always understood that Paul must have meant, because Paul didn't get it right. He, He wrote the wrong word. He must have meant grace. If you look at that ministry and its connection to mercy, it changes everything. See, if grace is giving us something that we don't deserve, and mercy is withholding something from us that we do deserve, suddenly my 2017 looks very different of how I'm going to approach sharing my faith. If if grace is giving us something we, we don't deserve and mercy is withholding something that we do deserve, all of a sudden it changes the urgency in my heart to share my faith with those who don't know Jesus Christ. Because mercy, Paul is saying it it, it this way. Now, I'm not a very smart person, so I had to say, okay, let me think about this as logically as Lee's brain can comprehend this. Mercy must have meant that Paul was now approaching sharing the gospel, not from what he brought to the table, but the fact that he was a recipient and he deserved hell. Some of us are saying, I got this Christian walk I've got it down. Anybody feel that way? Don't put your hand up I've got this Christian walk down. but Paul approached sharing the gospel may be different than a lot of his counterparts because he knew that as much as he know or as he knew if you're new to this whole Christian thing or you're exploring. Let me just tell you, this guy named the Apostle Paul, he was the who's who of of preachers. He knew, he understood the nuances. In other words, while one person, maybe Peter had a Ph.D., Paul had like 17 of them. And yet he says, even with my 17 degrees in theology, uh, all these ologies, I realized That God didn't take me out. And so my ministry has changed from a ministry of grace. See the thing about grace. I love grace. Um, We all are recipients. But I wonder if grace has called more of us to sit on our faith. Whereas mercy would get us excited about sharing our faith. When you look at mercy... I got to share this event. <clears throat> Last night, maybe you're watching football. We started off watching football. But we knew the Patriots would win anyway because they deflate balls. And, every, and no, I'm just teasing <laughs> for all you, you Patriot fans. We knew they were going to win. I mean, Tom Brady, he's always consistent. So what we did as a family, we decided to go upstairs into a bonus room and we decided to play uh, uh, v- video games. Uh, Not video games, excuse me, uh, Cranium. Anybody ever played Cranium before? Well, Cranium is fun once you learn the rules. It's learning the rules and understanding the game. So we're playing Cranium, but if you could have seen the Thomas family last night, you'd have been like, "Uh uh-uh. They can't come back here. (laughs) We're yelling at each other while we're trying to explain the rules, and we're over-talking each other and everything else, and we just knew each other would be okay. And I thought, man, imagine if someone were to see us now, what it would be like, because we're we're like— No, you said that wrong. Just listen. And my oldest, he gets excited and he yells just like I did. And mom is going, ah," and we're, we're, we're just having a good time. Because the funny thing is, once we learned the game, we were all calm and sophisticated. Maybe if we could think from a merciful standpoint, about the people who don't know Jesus Christ, instead of saying we're giving them something sappy, we can say, man, I feel for those who don't know Jesus Christ. And so I say all that to simply say this. Paul has come to the place in his life that he realized if he was a recipient or that he was a recipient of the power of the new covenant, how much more does the world need what we have on Sunday mornings? But more importantly, watch this. I tricked you with that statement. How much more does the world need what we have to offer Monday through Saturday? They need it. Paul understood that. He said it this way. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 11, this is one of my favorite verses. When I get lackadaisical, when I sit on my hands, Paul said it this way. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing the fear of the Lord. In other words, he knew that those people who don't know Jesus Christ who think, I'm a good person, I don't need that Christian stuff, I'm okay. Paul knew that there's going to come a day of reckoning. Later on, he says, God is making his appeal to us. And I just wonder, and I'm going to say this from my heart. I mean no condemnation. I wonder if the greatest trick the devil has ever pulled on the American church is he's caused us to privatize our faith. We live private Christian lives. But it was never the intent. So we live in... All of a sudden we hear it's just like football fans and basketball fans. We're sort of quiet, we don't know, and then we see somebody with a similar shirt. Listen, we as Christians are called to live out loud. Second Corinthians 6:17. He says this to, to God's people: come out from amongst the world and touch no unclean thing. Christians should look different than the world. Not just our guilt and condemnation, but even how we love. And so let me get to my last point. We go from our way to God's way. Let me read this verse, and then I think I can just basically crunch through. On verse 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says this. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness. There are three things I want you to point out, or I want to point out to you, not walking in craftiness, adulterating the word of God, and we've renounced hidden things because of shame. And so I want to offer you some closing thoughts on that. What does it mean to renounce hidden things because of shame? What does it mean in 2017 to you, a believer, who says covenant is my church home, and this is where I go, this is what I worship, or or where I worship, but more important, there are some things that we as Christians, we just have to give up. And so, I want to implore you, I want to encourage you that you would give up pride of thinking that. You are somehow better. I want to implore you to lay down anger. I want to implore you to lay down disappointment that you're holding on to. Some of us are walking around because we've been hurt with a crutch. Sure, somebody betrayed you. Sure, somebody didn't respond the way you wanted them to. But I'm here to tell you, you have got to let that go and let Jesus take over. Discouragement. Some of us are the people of God and we're more discouraged. I'm not talking a seasonal uh, discouragement, but we walk around with a chronic discouragement. We see the glass is always half empty. Oh, what is the preacher going to do for me? What is my brother going to do for me? What is my mom and dad going to do for me? Listen, Jesus has done it all for all of us. Rage, addictions, wounds, betrayal, sexual perversion of every uh, sort. 2017 should be different in the life of a believer. We should not relegate ourselves or be okay with making resolutions. We should be growing in God. So to renounce hidden things, there are some things that... Calls us, no, I'm not going to get involved in that ministry. Watch this. I'm not going to get involved in a life group because somebody may know the sins that I've hidden. And they may speak into my life. I want to encourage you to get an uh, accountability partner in 2017. If you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to get an accountability partner. But don't get somebody who's a yes man. Get somebody like I got, Matt Francis. You make me sick sometimes, Matt. Not because he's doing anything wrong, but he's got enough love for my soul that he's not going to say what's convenient to me. Some of us need an accountability partner. Some of us need to get involved in a life group. Number two, the second thing is I love this because I have to hold it true. Not walking in craftiness. I looked up what some commentators were saying, modern ancient, and they were saying this, this is what happens when the church of modern times try, or they're they're trying to make the gospel cool. In other words, the gospel is not meant to be cool, it's not meant to be sexy, it's not meant to be exciting or relevant or watered down, legalistic, deep, shallow, social, savvy, slick, artistic, exciting. Those things should be the byproduct of what God has matched the gospel to in your heart. But when we try to make the gospel cool, we have done a disservice. When we look at people and say the gospel is the good news, we have skipped a step and we have told them the gospel is good news and good news only. But before it can be good news, we have to experience the bad news. and The bad news is that we are sinners in need of a savior. And finally, number three is adulterating the word of God. Here's how I approach this. And I want to be very cautious on how I in this because I, I I don't mean to be offensive <clears throat> but Paul uses a very graphic term we're adulterating the word of God when you think of adultery it means there are two individuals in a marriage at least that's the way God designed it can I get an amen he's also designed it to be a male and a female can I get an amen Okay. But adultery means bringing something in that does not belong. And I just wonder sometimes, have we adulterated our relationship with god in other words some of the things that i think christians bring in and i'm going to hit you hard because the holy spirit has hit me hard now watch this breathe through it it may hurt some others but there is no comparison and we're raising young people who are more excited about athletics and the arts than they are about the gospel of jesus christ I know you're sucking your teeth at me. But what I'm saying is, what message are we sending our children? What message are we teaching them? Sure, I'm not. My sons are involved in the arts, but there has to come a time where we'll say, hey, wait, hold on, baby. I understand. But as certain preachers, I've heard them say it. Chances are our kid is not going to play Division I football. Maybe they will, but I'm telling you the, the, the thing that we should hold most importantly is Jesus Christ because it's the only thing that's eternal. I want to end with one of my favorite authors. His name is C.S. Lewis. Anybody ever heard of him? I love C.S. Lewis. He wrote a great book called Screwtape Letters. I've quoted it sometimes before. If you haven't read it, I think every Christian should read it, especially if you're an adult. You should, it should be part of your library because what he has done is C.S. Lewis approached it from a brilliant point. There's two main characters and there's a third secondary character who is the Christian. But it's a conversation, some letters exchanged back from a, a senior devil and his name is Screwtape and to his nephew whose name is Wormwood. And he writes back and forth, and the whole purpose of that letter, or those letters, is how to take Christians and get them off of the road with Jesus Christ. I'm going to end with this, and then I'm going to share what we want to do, and most of you guys know it's coming. But he says this, he says, my dearest Wormwood, this is in letter number 25 out of 31 letters. This is near the end, the The secondary character has become a Christian, and now uh, Screwtape is going to send Wormwood on how to distract and take his faith away. He says, my dearest Wormwood, the real trouble about the set or the condition your patient is living is in that it is merely Christian. Stay with me. They all have individual interests, of course, but the bond remains mere Christianity. What we want, if men should become Christians at all, is to keep them in a state of mind I call Christianity and. Substitute for faith itself some fashion with Christian coloring. Work on their horror, hear this, work on their horror of the same old thing. The horror of the same old thing is one of the most valuable passions we have produced in the human heart. A horror towards it. An endless source of heresies in religion has been born because Christians become bored with the same old thing. Folly in counsel. Infidelity in marriage. Inconsistency in friendship. Their demand, or this demand is valuable in various ways. In the first place, it diminishes pleasure, pleasure while increasing desire. And then he goes on. And he says this, and again, the more uh, voracious the desire, the sooner it must eat up all the innocent sources of pleasure and pass on to those that that God forbids. Thus, by inflaming the horror of the same old thing, we have recently made the arts, for example, less dangerous than perhaps they have ever been. They're lowbrow, they're highbrow artists, and they resent the horror of the same thing. And then the last line, which really rocked me to my core, he simply says this, but the greatest triumph of all is to elevate the horror of the same old thing into a philosophy so that nonsense in the intellect may reinforce corruption of the will. Corruption of the will. Friend, I just came to tell you this. Satan loves lukewarm Christians. He loves it. He loves, in fact, he says if they have to be Christians, because ultimately a lukewarm Christian will back away, back away, back away. And I'm telling you, 2017 has to be the year where we get in the game. If 2014 was practice, or excuse me, 2015 was practice, And 2016 was warm-up. 2017 has got to be game time. And so that's my prayer for each of us, that we will approach things not by what we just see, but we will go from glory to glory. We'll go from mercy to ministry. We'll realize the urgency, and then we'll go from God's way to our, I mean, from our way to God's way. We have to approach our faith walk differently. Would you do this for me? Would you bow your heads? And I want to pray over you. And then I want you to sit tight. Got a great announcement um, for you guys. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you have been in our midst. And Lord, we thank you that we are called to be your people. Lord, we laugh sometimes throughout the sermon most of the time. But God, here's what I know. The more time we spend in your word the more the word of God comes alive. And that simply means that we have to die to ourselves. We have to quit living in the glory of performance or the abuse of performance and start living in the grace and the mercy of the living God. So, Lord, we take this to be your word and do in us what we cannot do for ourselves if there is anyone in this room who doesn't know you i pray that before this day is over they would come into a deeper understanding of love and appreciation so if you're in this room and you don't know jesus christ would you whisper this prayer maybe in your heart and say dear jesus i thank you that you love me and that you sent your son To prove your love for me. I've heard what the preacher says. I'm I'm a sinner in need of grace. And so Lord, would you save me? Would you forgive me for trying to live life my own way? And God, I repent of that. And I embrace your forgiveness. So make me clean. Make me yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.